up only. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, Hello and welcome to Up Only TV, where we're down bad, but we're not out. We're here today with uh, some expert guests, one guest, one expert guest, uh, John Bollinger, is going to be here with us to teach us, to show us the ways of Bollinger Bands. I cannot wait. Seriously, I'm so excited. First, let's talk about Blockfolio. They are our partner for this show. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. You can make a trade there today. If you hadn't done it already, you can choose to buy the dip. You can add fiat from your bank directly in Blockfolio. There's zero trading fees when you use Blockfolio. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. Thanks so much to Blockfolio for being our partner. Let's get to it. Kobe, hello. How do you feel? Do you, like? It feels like we're in presence of greatness. Don't you feel it, oh, Ledger? Do you feel it, Brian? It's because we are. It's because we, we are. are in the presence of grace. <laughs> I feel like I'm becoming happier and healthier and smarter by the minute just sitting on this Zoom call with John Bollinger, the inventor of both Bollinger bands and Bollinger champagne. I'm just <laughs> reaching, I'm reaching new heights. Mate, oh, welcome to the stream. How are you doing? Really well. I, I'm actually very, very distantly related to Bollinger champagne. So. Wow. Yeah. Wait, really? I was just, I was just making it up. Like, like eight <laughs> generations back or something. I love Do it. Do you get free free champagne? Nope. No, scammed. You got no, scammed. The, the opposite. When we when a Bollinger shows up at the at the you know the vineyard, they say go away because they think we're all showing up to, to stake a claim to their property. <laughs> <laughs> You're not welcome along amongst the no, the champagne no. Bollingers. Yeah. But uh, welcome, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. I know we hassled you a great deal uh, to, <laughs> to get you to go to the show. You several aliases to ask you to come on over and over again. And uh, in the chat, people are shouting your name. They're spamming Bollinger's here. Um, He's so, save us. Uh, yeah, welcome, um, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, so, where do we even start? It's actual John Bollinger, Ledger. Where do we go from here? I don't know what to do. I'm not a proper interviewer. Yeah, so I gave him a little bit of a preview ahead of time just to warn him that uh, I, I've known about Bollinger bands uh, and much later, John Bollinger himself, for over 20 years now, <laughs> <laughs> which is insane. So, like, my very first uh, trades, my, my dad gave me a little bit of money and he showed me how to, how to do markets. And one of our, one of our trade triggers that we came up with in this little system was to see is volatility coming soon? Uh, basically looking for Bollinger band squeezes, which I guess is the first thing you can do. Uh, like when you're learning Bollinger bands, you just want to find out, are they tight or not? Um, but that's what my dad showed me back, um, in the very early two thousands. And uh, so it's a pleasure. It's like literally like one of the people in finance that the one of the first names I heard was John Bollinger. So it's really a pleasure to have you here. There you go. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. So I think you've been a trader for a long time. Um, but at some point you were like, I'm going to develop these tools based on uh, some back testing or what did you do? Like, how did you how did Bollinger Bands come to be? Uh, and when in your career did, did, did you come up with them? 
Um, I was, um, you know, a, a, I was actually an option trader and um, I had a lot of interest in volatility. So that's where the volatility piece came from, because if you're going to trade options, the first thing you have to do is get a handle on volatility, mm. um, both historical volatility and estimated future volatility. Um, and at the time, we were using a really great trading system. It used a uh, moving average, a 21-day um, moving average, and we shifted up and down by 4.5%. And uh, we coupled that with a couple of oscillators, one based on advances and declines and one based on up and down volume. If we got to the top of the channel and one of those oscillators was negative, we'd take that as a sell alert. If we got down to the bottom of the channel, one of those oscillators was positive, we'd take that as a buy alert. Um, and, you know, but it was very frustrating because we were doing things by hand back in those days. Um, and you constantly had to change the width of the bands depending on what you were looking at or even worse as time passed um, in, and the volatility cycle changed, um, you're constantly having to change the, the width of the bands. The problem with that is not what you, you might think just the effort, but the problem is when you're constantly changing the, the, the variables that you're working with, if you're bullish, you set up the picture to be bullish. And if you're bearish, you set up the picture to be bearish. So you're letting emotions seep into the process. Uh, which always undermines trading very, very hard. So what I was looking to do was find some way to automate the setting of the, of, of the width of the band so that I didn't have to do that. So I could take my emotions back out of the, out of the trading process. A couple of the work I was doing in options volatility with the work I was doing in technical analysis and the result was Bollinger Bands. So when you say you had to do stuff by hand. Uh-huh, what- really by hand. What what did that look like? What do you mean? What do you mean by hand? Because I guess TradingView wasn't around. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started uh, my when when I decided to make a career of, of of trading and stuff. I looked around for people to learn from. In, in those days, there's no internet, so you know there's no uh, um, there's no communicating with people easily in, in the way we can today. Um, and all that tutorial material that's available now on the internet just wasn't available. So um, in in those days, um, if you were an active trader, a brokerage firm would give you a, a desk in in their office. They'd have like a bullpen out in the se- center of the office with, you know, 20, 40 desks, something like that. And so I got one of those and um, I was trying to learn how to trade and trying to pick the, the brains of the older brokers around me. And I found a guy who had just started a small boutique brokerage firm and I, I went and apprenticed to him for a year. And I kept his charts for him by hand for free for a year, you know. So that's that's how I learned the the trade. And literally, we you know we had graph paper, big pieces of graph paper. Here, watch this. Awesome. <laughs> Here we go. Like that. <laughs> oh my god! Wait, a, wait, wait, is this is this is this like a relic or is this like you still it, do it this way? No, this is a relic. This is from, um, looks like it's from 84. Oh my God. There you go. Wait, did you, did you win this trade or not? Um, this is a, this was, um, what is this? I just grabbed the piece of paper off the top of the stack. <laughs> um, it actually doesn't say. This is incredible. So you would you would basically construct these charts based on like the the 
price like a price history feed or something? Yeah, yeah. We had a Quotron machine which showed us quotes, and so we kept uh, the charts in real time um, on a piece of paper, and then we kept uh, some columnar pads like uh, the accountants used to use, and we put prices down the side and we calculate a couple, just a couple of indicators because it was too much work to do otherwise. Um, we had the calculations programmed in a little HP calculator, and yeah. That's the way it was. And wrote, how, how, wrote, wrote, wrote paper tickets out by hand when we wanted to make a trade. You know, we had a, a Western Union, special Western Union phone line that you'd pick up and it would ring in the in the pit, in the, in the S&P pit. And somebody would pick it up there and you'd give them your order and they'd, you know, tell you your fill right then and there. So it was, well, you know. And and then here I am trading dog coins in my underwear in in bed after not managing to get up after midday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big improvement, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which way it is. And and how do you how do you see like things have changed? Because you you're clearly still interested in trading. You you've remained. Um, passionate about about the craft and, and about technical analysis how what are like the major changes for you and do you think things have got easier do you think they've got harder or is it all just the same thing i don't think it's gotten easier or harder um trading is is hard it's uh, um you know it is what it is to do it well you have to be disciplined and work at it, it's, it, it that's never going to change um obviously lots of things have um improved uh, data availability used to be very, very hard to get your hands on data. Now data is, you know, easy to get your hands on. Um, calculations, if, you know, if you want to do something beyond a very simple calculation, just didn't do it. It, it, was, just, it was too much effort. Yeah, I mean, you could, but it was just too much effort. Um, so now, you, you know, the most complex calculation you can think of, bang, computer does it for you. So things have improved tremendously. Um, but the basic idea is the supply-demand characteristic of the market, the the emotions of traders and, and, and the making of markets and, and, you know, fear and greed, these things haven't changed at all. So what have you changed about your process? What have you changed about your process over the years as I assume as both technology changed and just the nature of markets changed? I can do more now than I, I was able to do before. That's really the, I can track more stocks, um, and I can get more done in a day. I, mean, I think that's really the, the bottom line is it's just easier to do it, period, in, in every way. I mean, things like TradingView, I mean, you know, just, just, just simply amazing. I was one of the first users of uh, TradeStation. It was called System Writer back then. And, you know, they, they brought it out, came on a giant stack of disks, you know, big floppies. I think there were 12 of them or so. You had to be the machine one, one at a time. But, oh, my God, you could write a trading system in, and it would test it against historical data. It was like it's like somebody turned the lights on in the room. So I think, you know, in some ways I reminisce about the old days because there was lots good about them. But I wouldn't want to go back there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. And, and you know, it, over the last sort of year, I guess since the pandemic began, there seems to have been this um, this like phenomenal rise of uh, of traders. And you said the data availability and you know access of these platforms and stuff has increased, which makes sense. It makes it easier for um, for someone to become a trader for the first time, or like a, an at home trader or a hobbyist trader. But 
what other sort of things have you noticed with the rise of sort of everyone getting becoming a trader? Was it like I imagine back then it was um, very different, and, and a, like a trader was something that you sort of selected to be in, not so much did as a, a hobby on the evening between between your other job. That's correct. Uh, um, it was really um, for uh, an amateur trader, um, uh, say a, a normal working stiff with a with a family and such. Um, trading was pretty much limited to getting a, the, a weekly journal like Barron's or something like that and, and, and reading some articles, looking so, some data in, in various tables and such like that. Maybe getting a, um, the S&P stock guide was an was a, a, a easy and, and, and very quick way of getting some fundamental data. So, you know, that's what people did um, who were interested in trading. And it was, you know, it, it was a lot of work and not many people did it. So I think that especially recently, we've seen a huge explosion in trading. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the death commissions w- w- was really um, um, a very important part of that when they, they took commissions down to zero, even though the, the trading costs are still embedded in the prices that you get. Um, people don't really realize that, but, um, you know, the old, when, it, when I started out, you know, it was $75 round turn for a futures contract. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, um, you know, you pay 25, $35 each way on an options, uh, ticket. Um, so, you know, I think really, uh, Robin hood, when it, you know, came out and said, okay, zero commissions and forced everybody else to follow it along, um, really enabled a whole new group of people to come into the business and, 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 and take advantage of it. And I, and I think they're doing it again. I think they're doing it to crypto right now. They just announced that they're bringing a new crypto platform and have zero, going to have zero costs with it. I think that the, the companies that are charging, you know, relatively high commission rates are going to find themselves disintermediated pretty fast here. That amazed me about Coinbase is because they started to where at least if you were not the taker, if you were a maker, you could trade for free. And they got a ton of volume and then they uh, turned fees on at a time where you would think would be when they would want to go the opposite direction and like further engage, get people engaged to trade on the platform. Um, what, what are your thoughts about fees within, um, within crypto in particular? Like, have you found it a a welcoming space to trade from a infrastructure standpoint or was it, did it take a lot of challenges or were there a lot of challenges kind of getting onboarded and, and, and getting used to the systems? Well, from a people perspective, it was very welcoming. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about that, but from a, a technical perspective it was actually pretty hard for me to get going because um, you know I wasn't uh, I wasn't a miner I didn't know any miners or anything like that I, you know so I kind of, kind of had to flop around I, I got involved relatively early so you know US people weren't so welcome and <laughs> <laughs> that's same everywhere mate don't worry yeah. about it certainly, <laughs> certainly if you wanted to trade any advanced products right like so I guess in, um, you primarily were looking at like spot only, but weren't, uh, there weren't a lot of avenues, especially for Americans to seek options or futures or other types of products. 
Well, and, and, and I wanted to trade volatility, um, as you, as you might imagine. So, you know, I wanted complex orders and such like that. And, and those were, you know, those were very slow income. Um, yeah. uh, they're available now, obviously, but, um, you know, simple, simple order, like one cancels another OCO wasn't, right. you know, pretty hard to come by in the early days. Yeah, I think Bitfinex were maybe the first people to do that. Uh, I, I remember so. in like 2013 or 2014 or something, um, they added it. Um, one thing that I found interesting with uh, with you yourself and, and crypto was that a lot of places, a lot of people I knew in crypto were using B bands um, already before I like like knew that you were on Twitter, before I knew that you were into crypto, before a lot of people knew. And when um, when I think people discovered that you were on Twitter and talking about crypto yourself, they were kind of shocked that, wait, we've been using this guy's like fucking creation this whole time. It works really, really well for crypto. And he's like just chilling with us and, and chatting with us. Did you find it strange that um, it was so well adopted in uh, in crypto and that it seems to work so well in the crypto markets? I didn't find it strange, but I should start with a little anecdote. You know, first of all, um, I think the fact that I'm here proves that I'm not dead. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I think many people suspected that that I must have been long past if uh, these indicators were so widely adopted. But yeah, me- many years ago, I was walking down um, the aisle in a grocery store um, with my daughter, who was I don't know, maybe, maybe four or five, so- something like that. And the guy walks up to me and says, you're John Bollinger. Um, and I go, yeah. And he says, wow, you're not dead. And my daughter looks up and goes, daddy, dead? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I bet that was Gainsey. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a crypto person thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, a- anyway, you know, the, 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 the point is um, that they've been – really widely adopted. Now, I wasn't that surprised because one of the first areas um, outside of the stock market, which is the area I primarily work in, um, to adopt Bollinger Bands was Forex, right? And so the transition between Forex and crypto, you know, seemed very easy. A lot of people who trade crypto trade Forex, a lot of Forex traders trade crypto, so on so forth. So I wasn't so much surprised to um, see how wide the adoption was. What I was really surprised is how well, not just Bollinger Bands, but most of the technical tools worked in crypto. Mm. Um, and I, that, that got me hooked and I, I was really interested after that. One more question on the history of B-Bands and their adoption is how did you first get them on platforms? Like, was it up self-uploading a tool into like a charting software for Forex or was it, how did, how did you get the word out uh, that, you know, B bands were, were a thing that people could use? There you go. There you go. <laughs> so that's a company that's long, 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 long ago gone. They were a, a really brilliant analytical company for technical traders um, they had they had some big mainframes um, in New York that did all the analytics on them, and you leased a phone line between their mainframe and your workstation, and all the analytics popped up on them. And I was an early adopter of the 
platform and I got to know the guys um, who formed it really well. Um, and they saw my work and asked if they could put it on, on the platform. So that was the first appearance of, um, of Bollinger Bands on a platform. That's and, awesome. You know, it was just happenstance. I just happened to really like the people from Trade Station, uh, Trade Center. Um, they were doing a fantastic job. They were, um, back in the day, perhaps you've heard of Tick Volume. Um, it's not used that much anymore, but back in the day, it was really a super powerful tool. And they gave you Tick Volume in real time. Um, so, um, you know, it was really an impressive tool and I had a good relationship with them. So it wasn't that hard. Then on the regular platforms, um, the first people to adopt it were, um, a company called CompuTrack. Again, um, it's another company that's gone by the wayside. Um, but they were very, very popular with futures trading traders and, um, N squared computing. Uh, very popular with stock traders, um, and both of them adopted it. So it just uh, started catching. I should tell you, you, you probably don't know. I was the um, from 1984 to 1990. I was uh, an on-air television technical analyst. <laughs> what? I was, I was the chief market technician um, for the Financial News Network. It was the predecessor to CNBC. In fact, when CNBC bought FNN, I quit and went out and opened my own firm. Wow. That's incredible. Wait, so it was like it was like the weather, except it was you with like a chart. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you were like, we were like, we've got a we've got a hot front, and we, the Bollinger Bands are getting very tight. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, there were women at home watching. Like, I don't understand this section, but this this man, <laughs> this, he is tasty. <laughs> over here <laughs> <laughs> i watch it every time <laughs> so, you know the, the 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 bands got named on air i showed a chart one day um with a with another uh, another person who worked at fnn bill griffith um he's, he went on to work at cnbc for a long time and um, i was pointing out the upper band and lower band he said what do you call those and i went um <laughs> I guess they're Bollinger bands. <laughs> Did you ever have any other names lined up? Any yeah, other yeah. options? No other options? It was just Bollinger bands from the start? Yeah, yeah. Well, they had no name for a long time. And then, you know, Bill asked me what they were called. And after that, it was Bollinger bands. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a very good name. It's, it's so a very good. catchy name. And shortening to B bands as well, it's like, uh, it's, it's very, very good. Um Thank you. I want to. I want to ask. I didn't realize that you were on uh, on on television. That's. Um, I already wanted to ask this question, but it uh, adds another, uh, I guess, layer of depth to it. Do you get a lot of people sort of coming up to you or messaging you or contacting you somehow and being like? bro, you've made me a lot of money. <laughs> what they mean is like, I've used your indicator, I've used B-bands, or maybe, you know, you copy traded you when you were on the television. Um, but uh, I've used your indicator and it's like become a core part of my workflow and I've become profitable. Thank you. <laughs> Does that, this happen to you often? I do. I, I do get a fair amount of that and it's incredibly rewarding. Awesome. I mean, you know, one of the things that I really love is people come up to me and they'll show me how they're using um, my work. 
And, you know, it's just an endless variety and people can be incredibly creative and incredibly, um, you know, they'll, they'll do variations on the bands. They'll do, you know, bands within bands, triple bands, all sorts of things, you know, and it's always a joy. I remember years ago, I was at a conference in Hong Kong and, uh, a guy from mainland China came over to me and said, I, you know, I've been using your Bollinger bands on equity lines as an asset allocation tool. <laughs> and I went, really? <laughs> and that became a central part that, that became a central part of my, my practice. So I, I'm incredibly thankful for the feedback that I've gotten from the people that use these tools. That's awesome. And, uh, Some, somebody in the chat just said you changed their life. Uh, built Tonka tough said that. So you got there you go. plenty of fans in the chat as well. It's awesome. Someone called Bazam says, they're in a pandemic, we're in a Bollinger pandemic. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> that's amazing. I can see um, when, we get, when we get back to Twitter afterwards, the memes will be coming long and hard. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it's possible. Um, have you seen people extend on your work in like novel ways and, you know, create sort of offshoots of B-bands? Like, you know, maybe I did a little alteration. I could call them Kobe's B-bands or something. Have you seen many of those that you think are, are, are like useful adaptations or? Here you go. There's one, one published in this month's technical analysis of stocks and commodities. Oh, there you go. The variation on Bollinger Bands. Um, by a guy by the name of Vitaly Aperin. Um, there you go. Moving average. Just, um, just, just, just came in two days ago. That's cool. so, so cool. People are, people are constantly doing stuff, and I, I think it's, it's the, it's the greatest possible compliment. Right? And it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to see people take, take, take my work and make it their own, and, and. You know, yeah, develop and, 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 you know, build out the ecosystem. I'd like to get back to your thoughts about crypto and TA, because I remember you talking about this uh, 2017 or so, whenever I first found that you were trading crypto and you talked about how the TA seemed to be um, just really clean relative to what I guess mm. you talked about as a transition that you saw occurring over the years in equities to where some stuff just didn't like to play out the same as it once did and crypto still kind of obeyed these uh classical technical analysis tools tell us about one what makes that uh easier or better for you to trade and then two how have you seen crypto trade uh ta change over the the last several years has it become more like equities or is it still very uh very clean in your mind no not not yet um so it's quite interesting actually um you know, I started trading equities before there were many derivatives around. So there were no stock index features yet, such like that. So in those days, uh, the process was much, much cleaner, um, much easier uh, to do. And then we started to get index futures and then index options and then ETFs and, you know, on and on and on at infinitum until you have all these secondary products. And all those secondary products create, you know, vast uh, um, array of transactions that aren't directly related to supply and demand that, you know, relates to rebalancing portfolios and such like that. Um, and the, the, those transactions are just noise. They're, they're just, they're just plain and simple noise. 
and you know the greater the volume of that um the more you see i've spoken a number of times to the international federation of technical analysts they call themselves ifta um and you know you go around the world and you, you talk to people and everybody wants to trade the big markets the u.s market you know they they want to trade the the e-minis or something like that and you say but wait a second you don't understand your market the one right here it's fantastic right the, the, all this technical analysis and stuff like that works much better here than it does on those big markets um so people are always surprised to hear that but you know i've gotten a lot of feedback o- over the years people will uh um We'll, 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 we'll take that and, and they'll find that they're more profitable in their own market than it would be in, in a big developed market like, you know, Germany or, or, or the U.S. I, I remember back in, um, I, I learned this lesson in 1990 and I was at a NIFTA conference in Rome and a guy came up and showed me um, working doing on the uh, MIB, the force in Milan. And, you know, he, he just had, he had trading stats that were just fantastic. Uh, you know, and, and I went, why is this? And he looked at me and he said, well, it's a small market. It's just started up. It's a developing market. And there's not a lot of noise in it. And I went, wow, that's a fantastic observation. I mean, because that's exactly the truth. I think crypto is still that way. There are, of course, now some institutions in crypto and you get it, you're starting to get derivatives and and you know related trades and the noise is starting to pick up but it's still better than any other market that i can think of so um, well for a for a while you gave me a bunch of hope because you said you know people didn't trade these big markets they went to the smaller ones and they were more profitable and i was thinking great that's all i've got to do is i've got to find a better market and i'll be more profitable but then you said crypto is <laughs> the best and i was like well if i can't make it here i can't make it anywhere this is supposed <laughs> to be as easy as it gets kobe <laughs> yeah uh isn't i mean a, i think it, that a line from that from that song New York, New York. If I can't make it here, you can't make it anywhere. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, the but, chat is um, struggling now. They're like, oh no, what are we going to do? <laughs> I um, I think crypto has got much more difficult um, as time has gone on in that 2012, 2013 it was super it felt really easy it felt very in everything felt very inefficient and um everything played out exactly where you would expect it to and in 2021 it feels a lot more uh machine-like and difficult to predict and it uh it feels like everyone's out to get each other a lot more um so i do think it's going that way i don't dispute that at all i think that's probably i think that's probably right on but it's still better than any other market right you know oh god oh if a bear market comes what, what are we going to do for money i'm going to have to go back to busking on the street i'll, I'll sing that um, new york new york song for money i've already been uh doing my research you know the chat was like ledger's got a big gulp i went to arby's to apply for a job already after this morning. <laughs> <laughs> they said i wasn't Looking qualified burgers. Like, what have you been doing the last two years you don't have anything on your resume <laughs> Did you tell them you're a Twitch podcaster? Yeah, they you're didn't, a Twitch streaming podcaster. They didn't seem to be impressed. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Um, so, uh, John, o- over um, over your years as a trader, you know you, you've seen these markets develop. You've seen things um, mature and get more get more difficult. You've seen new markets emerge and stuff. Um, 
How, uh, like, what have been your, like, the, the, the glory markets, like your, like, bread and butter, like these markets you could just, I wish I could trade that all the time. That was perfect. Everything did what I thought it was going to going to do. It was the, the best, like, trading experience of my life. Or it was the, you know, those years where you just can't get it wrong. I don't know about the years where I can't get it wrong. That's, that's, um, that's, a yeah, I have the opposite part. years where I can't get it right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, you know, I grew up as a equity trader, um, trading, you know, U.S. stocks, and for me, that's still the name of the game. I, I, I love trading stocks. Um, you know, we, my company here, Bollinger Capital, is a RIA registered investment advisor, and you know, these days, almost all registered investment advisors trade ETFs instead of stocks. So we have a whole niche for us to. You know, here here to offer people. You know, we we have very little interest in ETFs. Sometimes we use them to hedge or or pick up some exposure or something like that. But trading stocks for me is still the name of the game. It's you know, you get a really great stock trade. You do it well. You pick up something early in its cycle. It's really strong. You know, you add to it on the pullbacks. You trim it a little here. You play with it. over time and it really racks up incredible gains. For me, that's the peak trading experience. How do you do your process? Like, do you have fundamental drivers that y'all filter by in terms of what you want to trade or is it purely technical or is there a blend? So years and years ago, I coined this term rational analysis as the juncture of technical and fundamental analysis. I guess these days you have to say it's the juncture of, quantitative technical behavioral <laughs> fundamental analysis that you know they've 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 whacked these things up into different pieces uh, i don't i don't um that doesn't impress me so much but um we we start you know with a macro view of what's happening in the market as a whole um and we we work down from there we go to from there to sectors and from there to industry groups and from there to stocks. And, um, you know, I, I give you uh, an example. You, if you want to peek over my shoulder one day, um, every weekend I put together a little chart pack there. I, I think 40 charts in, in it now. And I put it up on my website. You can download it for free and take a look. Um, it's at BollingerBands.com down. If you page all the way down to the bottom of the, of the homepage, there, you know, usually Saturday afternoon sometime, um, I will pop up um, that week's chart pack. You can download it and take a look at it. It's a macro view of the U.S. and world markets. Uh, and that's that's where we start, right? That, that analysis is our, our key piece of analysis. But looking at that and some other factors, we can figure out, you know, if we're bullish or bearish and 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 we we start from there. Yeah, there, there's my chart back. There you go. So are you saying? Are you telling me every week you put out forty charts for free? On yeah, the, yeah. Man, paid groups are in the paid groups are in disbelief. <laughs> the paid groups are like don't lead people to this. They're, they're going to take all the customers. <laughs> As I've said many times on Twitter, you know, if they're asking you for money, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's incredible! That and that is every week. Oh my God, this yeah. is well. That, it's, it's part of my process. It's what I do every week. 
it's uh, um, the way I keep track of the market. So it's, it's really easy. I just, you know, after I created, I just post them. There we go. So I'm I came gonna... from the early days of the internet, you know, and that's what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to share. It was supposed to be an open kind of, you know, interactive sharing process. Um, and that's how I got involved in, that's how I got involved in crypto. In the early days of the internet, the, the, I, we, I built a number of websites, uh, analytical websites. Um, and in order to serve really well, you had to be near one of seven nodes in America. And it was one in Seattle. So I knew two guys up there and they started up a little ISP, an internet service provider. They built a bunch of servers and stuck them under this, under the stairwell of their home. And they, they got a dedicated phone line and linked it out to, to, to that node. And, they, they tended my servers for me. Well, after a while, the operation got a little, little bit too big um, for their home. So they needed to move it to someplace where you could, you know, you could have servers. And at the time, they took the West, a Westin Hotel in downtown Seattle and converted it into a server farm. Um, the whole <laughs> hotel. Well, it's called the Westin Building. It's still full of servers to, to this day. But uh, um, so they moved all, all my servers along with theirs and everybody else's servers to, to this hotel. And uh, uh, about a month later, I showed up because I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to see what this was. And you walk into this room, right? And, and they have these air conditioning units, below, and it, it's polar. <laughs> I don't know what temperature it was, but it was probably in the 40s or, or something like that. And it's hugely windy and it's tremendously loud. And so I go over and I see my servers and, you know, everything's in order and they've done a really nice job and I congratulate them on all that. And I look at the next rack, not my rack, but the, the, the rack next to it. And in it were two early Bitcoin mining machines, big suckers. <laughs> I think they were, I think they were 12 units high and they were loud. They were roaring away, right? With all the fans and stuff that were needed to cool, to cool the chips. And I said, what are those? And they said, we're mining cryptocurrency. We're mining Bitcoin. And I went, what's that? That's amazing. <laughs> and that was, that was the beginning of my interest in, in, in Bitcoin. I went, you mean you're printing money here? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're, you're actually printing money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So what, what year will this have been? Oh God! When did they move to the Western Building? <sighs> While back, I don't know, early two thousands, like maybe early, late two thousands, like, like early twenty tens, something like that. So it was early. Yeah, though. some so, so, somewhere's in there. I mean, if it was a big, were, if it was a large ASIC, then it had to be like. Or if it wasn't even an ASIC, it was just like a specialized computer. Like Could be a GPU rig, yeah, yeah. with a in a like a in a box. Yeah, a yeah. long time ago. So you've known about crypto for a long time. Yeah, but I didn't, you know, I didn't follow up on it um, uh, uh, un until later when when you know it started gaining a little bit more traction, and I realized it was actually a tradable one. And that's when I got interested. Yeah, why do you think that these assets trade cleaner when they're smaller? Um, is it, I've always used a, a phrase and 
I'd, maybe you can just spot check me whether I'm spouting nonsense oh. or not. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I just got the delivery. Do you need anything? No, you're good. All right. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Um, so, so this drives for a server. <laughs> <laughs> when I, uh, when I talk to people and try to explain TA a little bit, I'll often just say it's uh, psychology visualized is what you end up seeing when you're looking at a chart. That's um, a good explanation. What, do you think that's why these less efficient markets where fewer, you know, if you're, you're getting more of kind of this raw emotion that's printing on the chart and less of the um, automated strategies or whatever else that people could be running uh, programmatically or otherwise? Uh, what do you think plays into it in terms of what makes them more efficient from a classical TA perspective? I think uh, um, all the automated strategies, all the arbitrage, um, all the index arbitrage and, and all that serves really only to introduce noise into the, into the markets and make it harder to see the signal. And that in these uh, um, less developed markets, um, even some which are quite liquid, I, I must say, it doesn't mean that they're small markets, but they're ju just, you know, lower down on the development curve. Um, even in those markets, um, uh, you know, the, the exact same things are on display, the same interrelation of accumulation and distribution, the same relationships of, of, of supply and demand, the same vectors of, of fear and greed. They're just not as hidden as much by all the noise um, that's being generated in by, you know, basically ancillary operations in, in the larger markets. So, you know, a, a description of, of, of TA is, you know, uh, as, you know, depicting, you know, emotions on paper. I, th I think that's actually a pretty good, pretty good description. You know, I, I tend to talk, talk about things like supply and demand and accumulation and distribution and such like that because those those are the terms that I learned when I um, uh, was was in the beginning in the beginning of my process. So that, that's the way I think about it. But yeah. that's cool, Kobe. What do you have before I start digging into technical stuff? Um, I've seen on Twitter that people are looking up, uh, trying to find clips from this t uh, technical analysis TV show that you hosted. <laughs> they're trying, <laughs> they're trying to find some old episodes uh, uh, videos. Uh, I also would like to see them. Uh, oh, someone they're, they're, in they're around. They're, they're, there's a f really, really, really funny blooper reel um, <laughs> that was made in, at the end of FNN that circulates around the internet from time to time. It's got a clip of. Uh, myself and um, uh, an anchor called Sue Herrera, um, and we we were just um, we were sitting down um, in chairs facing one another with a little coffee table between us, and she was going to interview me about what was going on in the markets. And um, you know, there's a little process you got a stage manager who gives you hand signals and stuff like that, so you know what's going on. And so I just, you know, as we were coming up to the segment, I, um, I looked at her and I made this little funny noise, you know, like a boop, boop sort of, sort of noise and it went out on the air. Right? <laughs> and, um, we just looked at one another 
and we started laughing. <laughs> and we just, we couldn't stop. It went on for like ever. I mean, it was just we, we laughing to the point where we were doubled over, tears running down our face. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> on live TV. On live TV, because that's all I ever did with live TV. There was no, um, I had, um, when I was a kid, I had a, um, um, a problem with my eyesight. Um, my eyes weren't well coordinated. And to this day, I can't read prompter to save my life. I, I long ago solved the, you know, the, the coordination problem through visual therapy, through these exercises and, and such like that. So I have, you know, good, relatively good vision now, but I cannot read teleprompter so all i ever did was live tv awesome. oh wow so chat if you're in the chat you've got to find this blooper reel for us we need to see it someone else in the chat also said um can you ask ebans when i'm getting the ipa he promised me on twitter <laughs> all you have to do is show up here i'm in socal i'm happy to buy <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, another question was does Bollinger Capital take interns um, CMS we, interns we looking do, for a change we do from time to time and you know, a basic test is if you can figure out how to reach me <laughs> uh, it is quite interesting because you said for a year you did um you know you you did charts for for this um this trader for free and you were like trying uh -huh. to learn learn from them um has that ever happened in reverse like have you ever taken anyone under your wing uh -huh. have have they released their own indicator later uh gone on to uh global trading fame as well i have um maybe the best example is a technician that works here in southern california by the name of Frank Barbera, who worked with me for a couple of years and went on to have a very stellar career. Frank Barbera. So, all right, is there some Barbera bands anywhere? We need to look up Barbera <laughs> bands. <laughs> his, his specialty is in gold stocks. He, he, um, his, he, you know, like many technicians, they, they you know, many technicians will latch on to a, a thing, like, uh, um, I don't know, you know, become a futures technician or become an, you know, an interest rate technician or some, something like that. So he's always called himself GSP, the gold stock technician. And um, he, he, he just, from the beginning, he had a real interest in gold stocks and he just learned it inside and out. Nobody knows the gold market better than he does now. That's super interesting because, I I've found that as well. People like stick to a market that they they know really well, and they seem to have increased success uh, in that market. And like, um, mm. it it seems to happen quite often. But I don't really understand why. I, I sort of feel like markets have different personalities, and that I find them difficult to trade when you get a new one because you don't really understand how uh, how that market behaves when certain things happen. Um, even in crypto, it's uh, it, it seems quite different. Um, but uh, I also don't know what I'm doing. So, um, <laughs> well, crypto's crypto is quite different. You know, recently got some 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 indication that um, the the I understand perhaps incorrectly, but um, I understand that the recent pullback um, and test of the thirty thousand area for Bitcoin was caused by um, increased Chinese regulation of the sector, um, specifically in the Sichuan area. Um, you know, so that's a little different than many markets because you don't usually have, a, you know, a, a government um, in there making big waves. Of course, you know, recently that's not proven true because 
Um, we've seen increasingly the monetary authorities and such like that coming into the market with asset purchases and, and interest rate changes and such like that, manipulating markets. But at least in the old days, that wasn't the case. It seems much more, much more the case now. How do you take into account those fundamental drivers or like a shock event um, when they occur relative to your, te- your technical uh, analysis? I just got clipped by one. I was actually, I, th- I thought Bitcoin was ready to break out um, here at the recent, uh, at the recent highs at the upper band. It looked like it was pretty well set up. Um, and, um, you know, China comes in and says um, whatever they said um, um, and, you know, broke things down. So um, you just deal with it, you know, setups are setups. What I do is I spend my time looking for, you know, setups where the odds of success are in my favor and where the amount I have to risk is relatively small in comparison to the reward amount. That's the definition of, of what I do. You know, I should just go, I should beat that one over the head a little bit. There are really only two ways you can improve your performance in the markets. You can either improve the size of your winners versus the size of your losers, or you can improve the frequency of your winners versus the frequency of your losers. If you do both, then, you know, it's, the results can be really stunning. But I don't think people realize how thin the margins need to be. Um, if you, you know, if your winners are much larger than your losers, you can have, you know, a failure rate of 70 or more percent, right? Because the, the math works. And likewise, if you have a really high hit rate, say you're 65, 70, 75% winners versus 25, 30% losers, um, then, you know, you can actually be consistently profitable with winners that are just a little bit bigger than your losers. Um, so, you know, if you, if, if traders would just to stop and think about those two ideas and, and look at their trading record, just tabulate their results over time and, and, and look at those ideas. I think they could really improve um, their, um, their performance. You know, a lot of, so if, go ahead, Kobe. if I'm hitting 99% losers and I'm holding them to, to liquidation <laughs> and when I get my winner, make it. I, I close it for a 30%. I should, I need to change my tactics. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I need to switch something up. So we have a we have a little uh, um, little, little little meme around here. Is why would you punish your winners? People always, you know, they get ahead and and you know they get into a good trade and it starts to work out and stuff like that. And you know the first thing they do is they what they think about. Well, maybe I should sell this. And you know, my line is, why would you punish your winners? I mean, you want to feed them, you want to nourish them, you want to, you know, <laughs> you want to bring them along. And, you know, if you get a little bit of pullback, maybe you add to them or, or, or something like that. But I think people really think about, you know, and, and likewise, you know, when they get into a loser and say, oh, I'm going to wait until it's break even before I, I, I get back out of it. Well, you know, that's suicide, right? That's just financial suicide. It's, you know. Punish your losers and, and and feed your winners. I mean, come on, you know this is these are elemental ideas, and I that's what that's the difference between retail investors and professional investors. 
How do you tend to professional investors punish their losers and feed their winners? How long does it typically take you to find out if a trade is a loser or a winner? And how do you define your risk when you're when you're doing that? Sometimes it's immediate, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you, you you buy it and slam, and it never has an uptick. You just get, right? you get you get filled you immediately. And you're terrified. Uptick, right? You're like, why did I get so filled yeah, so quickly? You top tick that one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Never never happened. So there's, a, there's a story they tell about the pits in Chicago. Uh, um, you know, they say there's a god with a small g that, that runs the pits, and it, it has only a couple rules, but enforces them, you know, with absolute vigor. So the first rule is you're allowed to buy the bottom tick once in your lifetime. The second rule is you're allowed to sell the top tick once in your lifetime. And, of course, the corollary is that you're free to do the opposite as often as you would like. <laughs> Kobe, Kobe, so, I hate to break it to you, but you need to retire. <laughs> he, yeah, he, I know. He called the top of 2017 and the bottom of uh, 2019 or whatever it was. Um, yeah, and well, 2020, the yeah. 2020 March bottom. Yeah. But I... I was thinking, I was thinking, actually, I, I just did a, like a four hour drive and I got quite bored on the drive. So I, I was, I was thinking about it. And in 2013, I was like, a, I was a noob, basically. So I didn't know what, what I was doing. I called the exact bottom in 2015, the exact top in 2017, and then the like bottoms on the way. And then this top, this time around, I was bullish at the top. So I was like, wait, <laughs> am I washed up? Like, is it done? Because I, like, had a streak where, like, the, the big, like, macro moves, I was pretty good at them. I was pretty good. And this time I was like, oh, it's going to go way higher than this. We're miles away from the top. And I genuinely believed that. And uh, maybe I was like, does that mean I'm washed up? And it brought me back to a something I read a long time ago and uh, when I was trying to figure out trading and trying to see how stuff worked. I remember it said, you don't need to sell the exact top and you don't need to buy the exact bottom. You just need to capture 80% of the move. Like the, the top 10% and the bottom 80%, the top 10% and the top bottom 10%, they're just vanities. Like it's cool. You look cool if you sell the top. You look cool if you buy the absolute bottom. As long as you get the like 80% of the move, you're good. And then I felt better and I was like, you know what? I like a, I recognized that it was like done after like the move came in. I got a good exit on the like bounces. So like I captured a good 80% of the move. I'm happy with this. Like I, whatever, who cares? I'm rich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a old um, technical um, bit of support for exactly what you're saying. You know, um, all you really need to do, all you really need in, in this business is the definition of a turn and the definition of a trend. And, you know, so once you recognize the turn past tense, you know, then you participate in the trend and then you see the turn. To, again, you're too late. But if you recognize the turn, then you've captured the middle section, as you said. I actually think 80 percent in crypto where you have 20 percent moves in a day is quite difficult to capture. Yeah, I think 80 percent is a little optimistic. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be very happy if I caught eighty percent of any particular move in in crypto. Bro, you'd be happy with eight percent. I've seen your trades. <laughs> hey. 
still doing um, all right. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're still all right. It's crypto. Everything, everything's easy. Um, so, uh, B bands. The people need to know. You've been you've been doing this for a while. You clearly you clearly really love it. Are you just no exit strategy? You'll just do it forever for eternity. Uh, I guess. Do you uh, do <laughs> no you exit have like strategy? No exit I like strategy. to come to work. I, I, actually, I was uh, I've been thinking about the, been thinking about this recently. I, my um, my daughter came to work with me um, three years ago, and I've been training her and uh, and such. So I've been she forced bands. to think been forced to think about exit strategy and such so this is in fact my exit strategy i want to work half days i want to come in you know seven ish and leave noon ish (laughs) that's my exit strategy i think that's quite nice and and so your your daughter um is like a trader works with you and uh and and works at the firm Yeah, yeah All right, so we're gonna we're gonna refer to your daughter as she bands instead of b bands. We've got b bands and she bands. She bands. She bands is taken over, and you can just like roll in, and you can be like, she bands. How are we looking? And she'll be like, you're quantitative. She'll have everything prepared, and you'll be like, that looks like a turn. And she's gonna be like, no, dad, that's not a turn. Don't worry about it. And you'll be like, trust me, that's a turn. <laughs> and then you're good. Then you can go home, and that's that's why you, they pay you the big bucks. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> yeah, like that. <laughs> I have a question. Kobe hinted at this earlier about like watching charts all day. Do you have time frames that you prefer? Like, do you think you could just look at, so for instance, like a weekly chart and get essentially the demand areas that you want to identify and find? Like, well, these are the levels that are important for the week, and look at it here or there. Or do you believe in like following the tape every day and kind of watching? the asset move around and like keeping a really tight eye on it. I don't actually want to stare at the screen all day. Um, um, I've been doing I, it wrong. <laughs> I, I like to stare at it from time to time when, when it's important to stare at it, but yeah. I don't want to stare at it, at it all the time. Um, so, you know, maybe this is a good time to introduce a concept that I, I've, I've taught in some of the seminars I used to do. Um, well, and that is, um, that is, um, that is, time frame analysis so i think everybody ought to have three time frames short intermediate and long and what what those time frames are for you is going to be different than those time frames are for me um but you you need to have three time frames because you have to organize your work in relation to those time frames so short term is only for trade execution that, that that's that's all you do you know you generate your ideas um, in the intermediate term time frame, whether your your buys and sells and your stops and, and and all the trading logic that all belongs to the intermediate time frame, and the long term time frame is the background information. Are we in a bull market? Are we in a bear market? Is monetary policy accommodative? Are you know the authorities going to be angry about this or or what have you? So, if you organize your work like that you end up avoiding a lot of mistakes that people make. Um, One of the most common ones is um, to make a decision in the intermediate term timeframe with the tools that you're used to using and and, and the displays that you're 
you're used to using, then switch to the short-term time frame to execute that, get the best execution you can, and then forget to switch back to the intermediate term to monitor that trade. And instead, stay stuck watching tick, 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 and get shaken out of the trade because you don't have any rational framework to use to analyze the trade in that short-term time frame. So, um, and for me, those time frames, the intermediate term time frames are primarily daily. Uh, my long-term time frames are weeklies, and my short-term time frames are usually uh, um, hourlies. Um, but there's a lot of variation down there. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I can go from looking at tick charts to looking at, you know, in, in crypto, I've done a lot of experimenting with um, uh, four and six hour charts. Mm-hmm. I remember you talking at some point about how uh, crypto was the first time, like the first market where you saw people really uh, paying significant attention to the four hour chart, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a function of, uh, of, you know, the major venues in which crypto is done, generally Asia and then Europe and then the U.S. and and such like that. So I, I think, you know, finding a, an optimal display that captures the activity in each of those sectors somewhat separately. Of course, there's no, you know, real separation. But So um, I'd love to I ask you about that high time frame uh, with the weekly and especially with Bitcoin. And I've talked to Kobe some about this. I know him and I don't always agree about like moving averages and stuff, but the... 20 week, which is the midline for your Bollinger Bands, is that a significant part of your tool set for analyzing uh, long term Bitcoin trends? Or what what components of the uh, Bollinger Band system do you use on that high time frame? So, um, the. Uh, well, maybe do a little bit of gear, gear shift here. Um, Bollinger bands um, define whether prices are high or low on a relative basis. That's what they do, right? It's, that's it's, it's your pin basic... tweet. I meant this was. <laughs> I meant to ask you that earlier. Uh, right. It's your your pin tweet. I can read it for you because this is what you're about to lecture me with. <laughs> <laughs> Bollinger bands define high and low on a relative basis. By definition, prices are high at the upper band and low at the lower band. So that's true not only for Bollinger Bands but but for all trading bands. I mean that that that's that's what trading bands do. And and I got introduced to trading bands very early in my career and fell in love with them and have used them ever. So if, once you know where the prices are high or low on a relative basis, you can make decisions based on on that information. For example, a classic uh, W bottom is you know where prices come down and they make a low outside the lower Bollinger Bands. And then make a secondary low inside the lower Bollinger Bands. So even though the secondary low is in fact a new low as it was today in Bitcoin, um, you have uh, a W bottom that is not a new low in relation to the Bollinger Bands. So it's uh, it's an opportunity. You you sit there and you know you place your you place your stop somewhere's underneath the low and take along and see how it works out for you. See, again, we get back to that idea I talked about before. You know, you just want to find places where um, 
the odds of success are in, in your favor. W is a pretty reliable pattern, breaks every once in a while, but on par, W has worked really well. Um, so you want to find a place where the odds are in your favor and the amount risked, a, a, a new low basically, um, is less than um, the potential gain. Somebody posted a chart earlier on um, on uh, today on Twitter. Um, they, they used a, Little little W's and they box them and they used a little projection from the size of the box up for the for for to do a, a projected target. You know, again, you were talking about innovation before. There's beautiful little bit of in, innovation. Um, you know, looking at something that, like that in relation to the bands. So, you know, that basically my practice is um, uh, very much like that. Have you got um, some secret new tools that you've developed? Because, you you know, you were saying all this stuff like I was on the internet, you're supposed to share, and I know you do your free charts, and I know you gave Bollinger Bands out for free, but is there like a Bollinger Bands like V6? Yeah, but maybe. I'm just checking, you know, I'm just checking. It's my job. Well, it's not. I, I don't really have a job, but is there like a Bollinger Bands V2 or V3 that you're keeping in secret and you're like out trading everybody and they're like just like... God like or would you put it out straight away if you if you came up with something new? I haven't kept them in secret there. I I did them some years ago. Um and I they they received relatively little traction. Um I don't know why. Um one of them was the idea of you know, people like exponential moving averages instead of um instead of simple moving averages because they don't like the the drop off uh, um when uh big change moves out of the back window of the average affecting the front window of the average. So they you'd like to use exponential moving averages instead. So I figured out how to calculate Bollinger bands using exponential moving averages. Cause if you're going to do the exponential moving average for the midline, then you have to do that for the volatility calculation that determines the bandwidth as well. So I created exponential Bollinger bands and published those. And then, um, for things exactly like Bitcoin and, and the other cryptocurrencies, I'm actually a pretty active Litecoin trader. Um, uh, I created, I was really disturbed by the concept of the open and the close. They just don't really exist um, in the crypto arena. They're, 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 they're null concepts. So how can you create analytical tools based on closing prices. Um, you know, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I created a version of Bollinger Bands we call Bollinger Envelopes that use the highs to calculate the upper band and the lows to calculate the lower band. And then because there was no middle band to start with because we had no closes, so no, no moving average, we implied the middle band as the midpoint between the upper band and the lower band. So, yeah, I've been plugging away, and uh, I release almost everything I do. All right, so I've got, I got to check know, these out. Yeah, we You know, I, I, I'm like the original open source guy. I, I, was, <laughs> I was like there long before, you know, open source was a thing. <laughs> long before the MIT license or... Uh, <laughs> I think I, that's one of the things I really like about what you've done over the years is because so, so much of your stuff is, well, I guess all your stuff is available and, and for free and out in the open. And so many traders, you'll hear them say stuff like, well, you know, I, I'm not going to release stuff as long as it gives me an edge. 
Um, what what made you choose to, to release tools that perhaps you could have used yourself? Uh, and would, do you think you would have maintained more edge had you kept it uh, to so, yourself? So it goes back to when I started. You know, I, I started full-time in the markets in 1980. Um, and um, back then, it was really hard to learn. Um, so traders, you know, a few little traders would get together and exchange ideas and they would they would help one another, right? They, they, it was a little bit, you know, and so it, it came from that sort of idea and it just appealed to me. Um, I can't, um, I don't, you know, I don't actually know how to say it, but it, it's, it's my way of giving back. You know, uh, the markets have been very kind to me. I've had a, a very long run, a very good run, had my hard times as well as my happy times. But on par, the markets and, and the communities that surround the markets, the community of traders and market makers and professionals, you know, have been very good to me. And I'm, I'm just, I'm pleased to be able to give back. That's, that's super nice. But I need to know what it was like when you, like, where did you meet these, like, because now my trader groups are in Telegram or in Discord and people just <laughs> message each other a little, like, chat. Like, were you in the bar? Did you have, like, were you uh, in an office? Like, how did this go down? So, so a couple of ways. Um, in the old days, um, the brokerage firms had what they call boardrooms. Um, and it was just, it was a, just a room, an empty room with a bunch of chairs in it. And on the, uh, on the front wall would be, um, an old Translux ticker display where the, the, the prices of stocks you know, printed and, and moved across the, 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 the display. And there would be, you know, maybe a couple of screens um, with some stock prices and, and such like that. And so you could meet people in those boardrooms. Um, and then once you met a couple people, you know, they would introduce you to, to uh, other people and, and such like that. So that was a primary way of doing that. The other thing was professional associations um, were, um, uh, an, another way that you could meet people. I did my CFA um, in 84, 5, and 6. And so I met a number of people in the study groups and, and such like that. People were working on their CFA. I joined um, the MTA, the Market Technicians Association. Um, and I met a number of people through that. But the best part of it was, is when I worked at FNN, the Financial News Network from 84 to 90, my desk was in the hallway. <laughs> so you met everybody. FNN had, had no money whatsoever. And so myself and three other people had desks in a, in a hallway right outside of what had been the vault of the old, we were in the uh, old North American aircraft photo plant. That's where the FNN's offices were. And they had they had this big vault where they used to, to store the top secret stuff. So our our desks were out in this area in front, and it was the main corridor through the company. So everybody that came to visit FNN had to walk by my desk. <laughs> and so I would just snag them. You know, the most famous guys and all this stuff they come through, and I just I just snag them and chat them up and and and, and, and talk to them. So that was uh, um, that was really a neat 
thing. And as you know, FNN in those days, the people who ran FNN were only interested in television. They wanted to create good television. So from the analytical perspective, the market people that were there, it was unsupervised play. You could do whatever <laughs> you want, right? Because nobody understood what it was you were doing. And furthermore, they didn't even understand what you were talking about when you were on air. Right? <laughs> All they cared was that they that you made good television. The way they judged good television was that, you know, you got good ratings and FNN got, always got great ratings because it, we were a little, you know, a little gem in a sea of darkness. We were a beacon in a sea of darkness. And so we always had fantastic ratings. People all over the country were addicted to FNN. Well, we got to, we've got to find some of these episodes, Ledger. We've got to get some of them somehow. <laughs> for sure. uh, I need to I need to see it. Um, I need to ask you: Have you uh, have you met people who you thought you're just not cut out for this? You're just not supposed to be a trader. Like you just don't have it. You can't learn it. Like you're rubbish at this type people. It's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you have to like work with them? Did you have to like? Did you just tell them like, bro, you can't do it? <laughs> you 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 really can't, you know, because they're going to do it anyway, and and you know, so all you can do, um, all you can do is um, try to help them a little bit, try to keep them, you know, out of trouble. Talk talk to them about you know taking really small losses and letting winners run, and talking about trying to find you know good setups and, and such like that. Talk to them a little bit about discipline and stuff. That's all you can do. You can. What is, what are the characteristics that tend to define traders that you just think can't make it? Is it uh, trade discipline and uh, trade Lack management? of discipline, lack of discipline, and lack of discipline. Yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> 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 that does sound like... Uh, about like my problem. Um, oh, there was a very famous guy in our business. Uh, um, he ran a company called AIQ. It's another company that's gone um, artificial intelligence quotient. He was a math professor at, at a college here in in, in LA, and um, he was a he was a mad trader, and he and, and all this. And um, his wife was also a trader, and his wife was by far and away a better trader than he was. <laughs> And she would constantly go around behind him and swat his losers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, um, it was, uh, um, it was a perfect. It, I, I think it was actually, you know, a lot of people trade in teams. Uh, some sometimes two or or, or or sometimes more. Um, and I think that that's one of the really useful things um, that um, teams can do is. Um, help um by saying that's 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 really a terrible trade now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah look i try and do that with ledger but he doesn't listen to me he, he never takes any of yeah. my advice and he holds his losers down to zero even when he hits a winner he holds it all the way back down to zero <laughs> yeah. don't you I've, how's I've that doing, me bit doing i've been doing better now that my daughter's here and i'm teaching her all the time because she asks me all these questions all these pointed questions you know, <laughs> why are you doing that dad <laughs> I, I don't know like, I feel I like, like it. it that's not yeah. a very good reason why are you doing that dad <laughs> you know I found myself being more disciplined as a trader when I merged my kids portfolios with my own uh, because I had better discipline because they were because they were doing better than you 
In my, well, I was making the decisions uh-huh. on both portfolios, but I realized that my my risk management was significantly better when I was managing my kids' portfolio. I was willing to take more risks personally. Is the excuse that I would give myself for poor discipline? Um, yeah. And so, so this is the whole this is the whole rap about OPM, other people's money. You yeah. know, and it it has good things, it has bad things. It's some people are more disciplined when when they're when they're working with other people's money. Some people, as we know from the headlines, go mad when they're working with other people's money, take risks that they would never would take and so on and so forth. That's if you're going to do it, if you're going to work with other people's money, if you're going to be a fiduciary and and bear the responsibility, you better do some soul searching. Yeah. What I found was that I just took smarter risks. It's not that I'm risk free, of course, with uh, my kids. I can't. You can't make a trade if you don't make any risk whatsoever. But the way I managed my risks were uh, more responsible when I know that, like, this is the the money that we've set aside for our children, you know, and for the future. Like, you don't ride the bag to zero in that case. You know, you are a little smarter with it. So that that was beneficial so you for my. So you don't sell a hundred X Y Z puts and hedge them with them. Um, yeah, yeah, you don't go all in on uh, some long, long premium option. That's for sure. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people blow themselves up after like a great run. Especially options traders tend to like go really hot and then lose it all by getting hyper convicted on uh, on trades where it can truly go to zero when you're. Yeah, I saw in my early days when I was when I was apprenticing um, with that guy, uh, a guy came in. He actually had a really interesting system i use elements of it to to this day he kept it on yellow pad um he was trading bond futures and he'd run up um six hundred thousand dollars which you know back in 1982 was a lot of money and um um you know and he had done it brilliantly he had he had he'd he'd, you know added on pullbacks and trimmed off as on on rallies he managed managed stuff and he, he had this little system that he would write down each day the the date the the open the high the low the close and settle price and some volume and a couple other little bits of of data and he would compare the the uh, um the the day's data using this old technique of um that came from a guy by the name of wheeler of circled highs and lows where you circle a high if it's higher than the the high from the day before the day after you circle low if it's a low from the day before the day after he had this little system worked out with it so he could judge overbought and oversold and he'd done an absolutely brilliant job and i thought he was the most phenomenal trader i'd ever met and three months later he was broke it he does just, seem- you know he got to the point where he thought his own poo didn't stink yeah, yeah it does seem to happen quite often like a lot of the um, I think there's only like five to ten traders that I've seen from the last ten years of crypto that have done well, like trading really consistently without having a massive blowout period. I've known people go on one to two year like hot streaks and like they're the best trader ever. They become the richest person in the world, and then six months or one year later, they're just like no liquidity like blown the whole thing up, got overconfident, um, 
like stuck to a system that stopped working when the market conditions changed or something. Um, it must happen. It must happen quite often. Yeah, just just does. Um, you know, it's um, people. Th- there's a couple of things. You know, th- it's a privilege to be in this business, um, and you really don't want to abuse that privilege. You know, you want to you know maintain some level of discipline so you can come back and trade tomorrow. It's um, you know basic idea i i guess people just forget this they take you know these huge outsized risks and and, and you know it's just the risk reward payoff on the on those sorts of trades is just terrible yeah yeah you spoke a little bit about um you know controlling your emotions or stripping your emotions from trading i'd love to know a little bit about how you do that in practice and especially if you've like had a period of a, a few losers in a row and you've started to get a bit tilted and you've started to be like, you know, get to in your head about things and your emotions come, uh, come up to the surface a little bit more, maybe. So the easiest way to assess that is if you know a little bit of math, it doesn't have to be a lot of math, but if you know just a little bit of math and you can, if you can tell um, whether something has changed. So let me step back for a, a moment and um, answer a question you have, you guys haven't asked, and that is why do Bollinger Bands work 40 years later after they were created? <laughs> um, and the reason is, is because they are built on a first principle of the market. And um, so they're, they're not a description of the market. They're derived from a, from a core principle of the market. And all markets have that same core principle, and that's price change. So, um, uh, and so no, um, and and the the second piece of that is that they're not a system. So, um, you know, you don't automatically sell when you touch the upper band, and you don't automatically buy when you touch the lower band. You have to bring more to the part, more to more to the party. So everybody uses them in a different manner. So it's. Uh, a, a simple system, even if it touches first principles, can get arbitraged away because too many people use it and, and they, they, they alter the state of the market. But because Bollinger Bands have, are used in such a varied manner, um, that's not the case. So um, with that in, in, in mind, if, you, if you're running a, a system and an approach, trading approach if you compare your your current stats to to past stats um both for your trading results and for the price structure in in the market um if if those things are still really confident constant then you can be confident to go forward you know so and it doesn't take very much math at all i mean we're just talking about a few little sums and differences and 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 such like that um, you just want to be aware as to whether there's a fundamental change that's overhauled you. And if there is, then you want to get out of the way. You want to stop using that approach, that system. Maybe you want to stop trading altogether until you understand what changes have come into the market. You know, maybe the advent of, of uh, a more active China here or something like that for the crypto markets. Maybe that they're going to change the character of the market. I don't have any idea. That's not a forecast. It's just a question. But it's a question I'm holding in the back of my head, you know, and my system so far seems to be going along okay. 
So I don't think it's a problem yet. But you know, there you go. Did I, is that responsive? Did I, did I answer your question? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're you're, you're basically saying you you know you keep a little uh, tally on like your performance and how you're doing to give yourself a reality check about are you getting overconfident when actually you're uh, you shouldn't because your system's not not doing so well. Yeah. So here here's a, um, a, a one one way you could monitor that. So if you're tallying your trades, if, you, if you're running the average size of your winners and the average size of your losers and that's been constant for a long time you know and and even though you're getting into trouble some under underperformance and some stuff if, if your your numbers still follow those trends then you know it's just you know a temporary a temporary uh, problem um, but if those numbers start to change dramatically then you know something underlying is changing and you better pay attention yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, and then for keeping your emotions out of things, you just bring everything back down to like the facts and the charts. Like, how do you keep your emotions at bay when you're, um, you know, when you're when you're trading? When maybe when you have ha hit a couple more losers. You know, it's it's even for me. You know, who's been at this all the time and spent years thinking about trying to do this. It's just hard. You know, uh, we recently we had. Um, Last year, um, in one program we run, we had an incredibly hot streak. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's really, really hard not to be euphoric, you know, because, you know, it's, it's, it's working really well. <laughs> it's everything uh, you want. <laughs> like, I remember, actually. Wow. <laughs> so, but you just, you know, you just have to lean against it because you know it's going to change. You know, it's. It's, it's these things come in cycles. You know? Return series are not straight lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, this actually reminds me in January of this year, I tweeted, uh, My positions are so green, I think I can s solve climate change. <laughs> and, and you DM'd me and you said, You are euphoric. You should cut some of those positions now, and it brought me back down to reality. And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like John Volge just, he just like the the goat just called me out for being euphoric. And I took a look at my positions. I took a look at uh, the the like chart, which was parabolic. A Bitcoin had just hit like forty or something for the first time in January, and I uh, sold a bunch of my options um, and closed a couple like leverage positions. And then afterwards, it like completely nuked to twenty eight. And I was like, <laughs> "B Bands is trading for me. He saved my life." <laughs> So the only reason I I did that is because I was in the same circumstance, <laughs> and I recognized it in myself. And when I saw your tweet, I said, "Oh yeah, right." <laughs> well, there we go. Thank you very much. Saved, saved me a lot of money. <laughs> saved, saved by B bands. I love it. <laughs> saved by the bands. <laughs> Uh, say by the vans. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for that DM. Uh, and I, now I recognize that feeling because sometimes I want to reuse the tweet because I thought it was a good tweet. And I'm like, I can't tweet that again. I've just got to close my positions. <laughs> uh, John, John, John will kill me. Um, all right. So, um, your, your daughter, does she trade equity markets as well? She have favorites? Is she, um, into crypto more, into the same stuff you are? Is she into dog coins and dog money? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, she, she, uh, um, had a, um, 
a, a separate career before she she came here. Um, international business development, actually, um, and she had a passion for um, for the ESG world um, when when she came. So we worked. I worked with her, and we built um, what we call our impact program, which is a, a, a program that combines um, stock selection based on, or let's put it this way, uh, creates a universe of stocks based on, on having positive ESG characters, environmental, social, governance. Um, we call it the impact portfolio. Um, and um, I took a classic relative strength Approach and fit it to the characteristics of those stocks, and we put it together as um, as a program. It's done very well. Um, so that's one of her primary responsibilities here: is maintaining that universe and and uh, um, and, and working on that portfolio. Um, and it was a really a perfect way because you know it was a new approach that we built from the ground up. That, you know, suited her interests and such like that. So it was really, uh, a, really a perfect, uh, a perfect um, way to open the door and let her in. Yeah, it's really cool. And 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 uh, is it like Ledger? Like you know, he was learning TA from his dad when uh, I don't know how old you were, Ledger. I'm going to pretend you were like. Uh, I'm going to pretend you were four. Okay, four. <laughs> you were four. Uh, was it like that with you and your daughter, or was it like a, a later on? Like when nope. when did you pass the knowledge onwards? Nope, she had no interest in the markets until she decided to come work here. Oh wow! So like not not like relatively recently. Second. Career. No, no, no. She um, she uh, um, studied uh, um, international service at the university and um, went into a career in, in international business development. Um, so, um, she was in, in an entirely different area. She felt it was time for a change and she looked over and saw what we were doing and saw our relationships with our clients and how things were working and such like that. Thought it looked like a, um, yeah, thought it looked really attractive and decided to give it a try. So, um, and it's worked out really well. I'm very, very happy about that. Oh, that's super cool. Um, that's super cool. Have there been moments where you've been like, oh, daughter, you have so much to learn? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What there are is moments when I go, oh, John, you've got so much to learn. <laughs> because that's the name of this game. You have to keep learning. You know, yesterday, it, 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 it doesn't ever end. You just have to keep on. You have to keep on innovating and developing and changing. You can't bring yesterday's knowledge and yesterday's tools and techniques and yesterday's approaches um, to today. Um, if you if you stay in one place, frigid, um, frozen in, in the spot, then uh, the market's going to overhaul you. So you have to learn to adapt to the changing environments that we uh, that we see. Yeah, I think that sort of like constant curiosity and um, perpetual education and perpetual learning. I think it's a, oh, yeah, exactly um, so. Yeah, it's it's like a sign of, um, of of successful people, no matter the field. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, often become sort of like a, a big hit, especially in trading. Like they do something, they have a big trade, a famous trade or something, and then they stick to their system and don't really um, learn new things and and you know yeah, end yeah, up yeah. being a bit 
washed up afterwards. Hopefully so there's two things me. about having there's two things about having that big famous trade. A, a it anchors you to what you did, and B it makes you think that your you know doesn't smell. And mm. so that's actually really um, that's really um, you know the best thing that can happen to a trader is that the first trade is is, is a disaster, mm. and the worst thing that can happen is that the first trade is a huge success. <laughs> 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 yeah then you end up like cryptopathic um yeah. <laughs> so i i'd love to i'd love to ask some questions about like you know the the famous traders and i guess one that's topical at the moment is michael burry um you know became famous because he used his real name in the big short film and uh shorted the housing market and um you know created credit swaps default swaps or whatever and uh these days just post tweets like it's the end of the world everything's going to zero um everything's a scam and uh like you know everything's going to collapse soon um how do you how do you see the position of people like bury and uh yeah, the, the Doomers or, or other traders like him that have hit like a, a massive famous winner and um, now they, 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 they're they still doing it but uh, have had middling results since. Well, well you know, they, they stopped clocks and, and stop clocks are right, you know, every so often. Um, and um, but you, you can't that's not a path to success. Um, Yes, occasionally, uh, um, you know, one of these stock boxes is going to have a fantastic result, and you're going to you're you're, you're going to learn about it. Um, it's probably the pessimistic that pessimistic mindset um, that allowed him to um, correctly um, perceive the problems in the CMO market and and, and, and take those positions um, to uh, have that fantastic success that he had. But you know, um, I don't think that that sort of you know, perma bear, if we call them, um, or doomers or gloomers or stuff like that. I think it's really, really hard for people like that to make their way forward in, in the market. Uh, you know, there there are many professional short sellers. Some some of them manage to make money, but many, many, many of them are <laughs> blowing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you know that sort of alter doom and gloom. I just turn them off. Um, I shouldn't because I need the input. I need to know. So here comes a, 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 another one from me. Um, you know, if, if you're bullish, you want to read the bears. And if you're bearish, you want to read the bulls. You want to read the literature of the opposition. You don't want to read stuff that reinforces the opinion that you already have. Right. We get this all the time, you know, here, here in the States, uh, um, um, you know, the conservatives watch Fox and, 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 and the liberals um, watch MSNBC. It should be the opposite, right? <laughs> the conservatives should all be w- over there watching MSNBC and finding out what's going on with the opposition. And, and, and all the liberals should be over there watching Fox and seeing, seeing what's going on, going on over there. Otherwise, they just end up in, in, in self-reinforcing cycles where it continually, you know, and they have no outside input, so they have no idea whether they're right or wrong, or you know whether their 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 opinions and, and, and beliefs need to be corrected to ref, better reflect reality. Because you know they they have no they have no framework. 
Yeah, I think that getting out of your echo chamber and getting stripping out that, um, you know, constant confirmation bias from the people you follow is a good call. Thankfully, in crypto, Jim Talbot and Insulico's tweets quite funny. So you can read the uh, you can read bearish angle and, and be entertained as well. Um, <laughs> there we without, go. <laughs> without just being uh, like depressed, because some, some of the, the, the doomers, it's just just all doom and gloom. And you're like, oh. I can, I'm happy to read bare propaganda, but don't make it miserable. Don't make a, it like mark, markets down. Looks like World War Four's on the way or something. There's a guy in the legacy market, his name's Sven Hendricks, I think. That like, I feel like his entire career he just draws these gigantic rising wedges and the VIX like going constantly down. He's like, one day, one day, this will break down. <laughs> like, the stock market will die. Yeah. And it's like it just keeps keeps going and. Uh, yeah. Then he'll be right for like two weeks and be like, I called it. (laughs) (laughs) Always stop the box. (laughs) I remember remember when I was looking to buy a house like uh, eight years ago, maybe. I don't know, maybe maybe not that long ago, actually. But I was looking to buy my first house and I found this blog of this guy who had been on the sidelines of the housing market for 25 years because he thought that there was a correction coming. And he originally started writing this blog being like, well, um, I'm going to wait two years to buy a house because I think there's going to be a correction coming. And then like he just sat out for 25 years and now the blog's just about not about not owning houses as a way of life. (laughs) What what have I found? Um, There's there's been a couple of uh, very famous ones like that in the U.S. stock market. Yeah, over over the years, I'll spare you the names. Somebody in the the chat said, uh, Sven has called 49 of the last three recessions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not meaning to fade someone if they're making a call. It's just like if you're constantly calling it and constantly wrong and trying to have this macro framework, it's just, it's really hard. It's really hard to be like the market savant of like when it's gonna make the change. John, I imagine part of your success is just been trying to pay attention to the chart that's in front of you. How do you how do you build in like your macro bias alongside that technical component when you're when you're making the trade? Um, usually, um, um, you know, if, if we're biased toward the long side, which we have been for for a while now, um, still are, um, then you know we look for pullbacks and strong stocks. If we're starting to see deterioration and stuff like that, then we pay much more attention to stocks that are putting in tops and uh, um, worry about that. Um, it just, we use the, the, the macro work sort of, sort of as a filter to, to, you know, tell us where we can best devote our attention. I like that. Kobe, uh, what else do you have? We've been asking some of the questions from the chat, but... Yeah, I was just reading something from a chat. Um, someone said, Kobe said it best, on a long enough timeline, I'm right. Which I've never said, <laughs> but I really like it, and I will tweet that later and pretend that I wrote it. <laughs> so there's, there's a really interesting thing right along those lines. You know, um, you can... There was this um, there was this movie um, recently, Rush, about... Uh, um, um, Formula One racing about the James Hunt versus uh, um, Nicky Lauda um, thing. And, uh, you know, that's sort of a classic thing. It's a, uh, it, it refers to a problem that gamblers o- often have. Um, you know, James Hunt was a, a brilliant driver, um, but uh, 
Nicky Lauda said to him, you know, over the, over time, I'm going to beat you because I'm a consistent driver and I'm never going to take outsized risks and such like that. But Hunt was such a superb driver that he could take all those outside risks and get away with it. Um, so, you know, as you look around in life, there, there are many examples like that, that, you know, you can, you can look to for guidance in terms of understanding how to trade and how to be successful in our, in our business. Like also got a shout got a shout out Danny uh Danny who was the executive producer of that movie who watches the show who's going to be thrilled that you just talked about <laughs> her movie on <laughs> on Only TV. I'm sure this is a, a big moment for you shout out Danny. Okay. Um, I just rewatched it. I just rewatched it four nights ago. So there you go. Awesome. I watched it when it came out and I just caught back up with it. Yeah. It is, it is a very well-made movie. Um, do, is there any uh, good movies, TV show, like good content on trading that you found over the years? Like The Big Short was obviously a huge hit. Um, people really liked it. Has there been um, others over the years that you've you've watched and be like, this is, I, I feel like I'm in this movie or no, just all just trash? <laughs> nope. Nothing? No, I think Hollywood, Hollywood's done a terrible job. Who's your here's a here's a variant of that question. Who's your favorite TV personality these days? Uh, like someone visually talking about uh, markets that that you have some respect for. I know you're not going to believe this, but I don't watch TV. Ah, I believe that. I, I believe that. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something really unbelievable for a moment. I was like, no, oh god, no, 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 no. no, no. So no, the uh, I just don't wa- I just don't watch it. The chat did ask did ask about books. If you don't watch TV, are you are you a reader? First of all, oh, there's a great yeah, chance. Yeah, my reader, my reader, are you? <laughs> are you? Yeah, stacked with books. We should show your book first. We'll link it in the show notes, but it's also on BollingerBands.com, the Bollinger Band book, comprehensive guide to using Bollinger Bands from the man who created them. That said, yeah. what other what other books have uh, influenced you? I love the classics. You know, the, the markets are the same today as they were 100 years ago. So, um, you know, the classic authors really got down to the core issues and such like that. So I, I love the works of, of Wyckoff, um, Richard D. Wyckoff, um, Gartley, um, um, all of the early masters of Relative strength. Um, the pioneering work came from 1968 by Robert Levy. Um, you know, so many great um, books on technical analysis. Uh, I don't. Um, I like the. It, it's actually interesting. I like the early editions. Many of these books have been published in series, where you know you get the first edition, and then then five or six more editions. Each each one gets fatter and from my perspective less clearer so um i I like the earlier editions of um some of the books um humphrey neal we talked a lot about contrary opinions today about um emotions and such like that if you want to read the master on that um it's humphrey neal um yeah like I said, I've got thousands of books. I'm just going to yeah. trust that Luke and the CMS intern have written these down so that we can put them in the show notes. <laughs> so on, on my web on my website, actually, uh, um, there's a reading list. There you go, Luke. Look, Chico. I've learned 
I've learned during this episode that your website is a, a fruitful resource that I, is untapped to me, and I'm going to go explore it later because you've got reading lists up there, you've got charts updated every week. I, like, who else? What else is going to be in there? Who knows? I'm going to go fully explore this later. And if you're listening or watching this, I suggest that you uh, you do it as well. Unless, unless like Zid Beans from the chat just said that he can't read, uh, in which case. Um, huh. I don't. Well, I'm not sure what to tell you. I don't know how you managed to write that either. But there we go. That, um, that's sort of un- unfortunate, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, he managed to write in the Twitch chat, so I think he might just be joking. But um, yeah. let, <laughs> let's find out later. Um, another character I'd love to ask you about is uh, Michael Saylor, who you know has got into Bitcoin himself a while ago and has moved MicroStrategy into Bitcoin and was the first sort of big institution making institutional buys, I guess, um, became the inspiration for Tesla to buy um, and has just been selling debt, selling equity, selling whatever he can to uh, keep MicroStrategy buying Bitcoins. I think he owns over 100,000 Bitcoins now or something. Um, who knows? What do you think to strategies like this? Um uh, and all the, all the the game he's playing, I guess. People who have long term vision, you know, I would assume that he 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 um, is in fact a person who has long term vision. Um, people have long term vision and, and execute that program over the years um, with consistency. I have great admiration for. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know the details uh, of his actual transactions or his actual record. But, you know, recognizing an emerging market and making a commitment to it and staying with that commitment over time, um, I think those are, you know, incredibly laudable ideas. Um, And I think it's very, very hard to do. Um, So, you know, more power to them. We don't need more power to sailor. He'll become too powerful. <laughs> He'll become yeah. super powerful. The super cycle will be will be forced into existence with sailor alone. Um, and then one, the very first episode or one of the first episodes we had uh, on this, there was a concept of the super cycle spoken about. So you know, Bitcoin's grown in these multi-year boom and bust cycles where you know yeah, it goes yeah. up for a year or two and down for however long. And um, Suzu, who's the chief investment officer at uh, uh, Three Arrows Capital, which is a uh, once small, now big crypto trading um, firm, um, said he believed in this concept of a super cycle where you can't just grow in boom bust cycles forever. At some point, that asset has to like make it or fail. Um, and he imagined a fractal more similar to the Amazon chart. Um, from now on where you don't get extended bear markets anymore you don't get you know three four year bears instead you just get shorter um, dips on a like an up only um, bull market basically is this is this hopium has sue dumped on us and scammed us Uh, is this something we can believe in what are your thoughts on the super cycle we have um going the other way we have a uh, um saying which has always stuck with me um since i first heard it many many years ago and that's uh um we may be going to gehana but we're going to trade our way there um so um we um may be going to the moon um you know the super super cycle may carry us to the moon 
but I'll be trading my way there. <laughs> yeah, I like that so much. Yeah, you know. I, that, I think that's how Gainsy does it as well. Gainsy's like, you know what? If we're going up, I'll make the decision along the way. I'll judge it at a turn. Um, uh, I don't like that so much because it sounds like loads of work, and uh, I'm not as disciplined as I think as think you are, uh, Mister Bollinger. Um, I don't know how disciplined I am, but I do try. <laughs> it requires sobriety and stuff, doesn't it? Uh, I'm not so good at those things. Speaking of uh, sobriety, I can't let you get out of here though without talking about your favorite beers. Uh, I know you're a fan of uh, of craft brews in particular, if I recall correctly. What are your favorite beers? Mm-hmm. Favorite breweries? Uh, so I think uh, um, my favorite brewery is one that I, I found many many years ago. That was a pioneering craft brewer. Uh, it's called Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, up in uh, Chico, California. Um, they do just a superb job. Um, as they say, um, family owned and argued over. <laughs> <laughs> um, here in the South Bay, um, we have many fine brewers. We have Smog City, Absolution, um, Hop Saint. Um, I, there's, just, there's just a ton of them. What I really like about the craft brewing business is it's constant innovation they're constantly you know changing and 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 and, and, you know creating new new products and trying new things out seeing what people like and what people don't like it's it's just a very vibrant uh lovely scene and after years and years and years of you know hogwash beer from uh miller and uh bud Coors, um (laughs) it's just it's it's such a it's such a delightful thing and when you go to breweries, you know, the crowds are happy. People are nice. Everybody's having a good time. The vibe is really cool. Um, so, you know, I, I, just, I, just, I just love the scene. Um, That's great. What can I say? Crowd beer. Kobe, should we do Alpha? Yeah, let's do it. But I've got a pitch. I've got to make a pitch first. Look, we've got Bollinger bands. How about we go into business together to make Bollinger beers? We might get into trouble with the other Bollinger champagne. But look, we're bigger than them. It's not going to matter. So we can have B Wait. bands and B beers. What? C- Kobe, you trying to get in on this too? No, you trying to get on this too, Ledge? Sorry, you're, what, sorry. What you're do out. we bring to the table in that scenario? It's <laughs> all this stuff. I'll, I just came, I just came up with the idea, and I came up with the idea of B beers. It's like B bands, B beers. Yeah. Look, I'm. Tr- why are you trying to get me out of the deal, Ledger? You're supposed to be my. You're supposed to be my partner. <laughs> I was trying I'm to get involved, you in, so I got to cut you out. Too. <laughs> look, look, might have been, might have been that I thought about this already. Oh, look at that! Look at that! <laughs> well, you, let me know when I can buy some B beers. Then could you serve yeah. your beers in no, cup no, only? No, I, I'm not going to do it, but I, I definitely have thought about it. You can you can sell just two thousand beers as a limited edition run of NFTs. I go. promise you they'll sell out, and no one will ever even drink the beer. They'll just keep it forever. Ah, there you go. <laughs> um, all right, let's do it, uh, Ledger. We've been streaming for almost two uh, hours, so at the end of every episode, we ask all our guests the same question, and it is for. Um, a piece of wisdom, a teaching, or something that you always reflect on, you, you find yourself reflecting on often throughout your life, um, that you keep coming back to, you found you you found like uh, useful, or you found solace in, or you found comfort in, I guess. Um, something that you can pass on to our uh, viewers who have watched you, you for the last two hours, watched this interview for the last two hours, and they're looking for 
um, something that will make them happier, healthier, richer, more fulfilled. Uh, just a, a piece of wisdom, a teaching that they can go, you know what, once I was listening to this, to this podcast with this British guy and this guy from Alabama and the creator <laughs> of B-Bands was on there and at the end of the episode he said this thing and... I actually keep thinking about it and that's made my relationship with my wife or my husband so much better just because of what, what B-Band said or I used that technique and I got that promotion at work or something like that. I think that I would say um, to widen your experience as much as is possible to you know encompass a great range, to read very widely um, to, you know, have hobbies, um, do things, um, that you might not do, you know, of your own volition, um, have new and interesting experiences, um, you know, get out there and, and, and live life as, as widely and as broadly as you can. I think that that's really the key. Um, I think that, you know, people who get stuck in a rut and you know uh, a very narrow um right uh miss out on a lot of what life has to offer and that there's an ancillary benefit to do it because after you do it for a while you have this incredible pile of knowledge this incredible breadth of knowledge that when you go to solve any specific problem you have all these other pieces and parts that you can pull on to get that done so i would say um range um is um the best advice the there you go ledger life <laughs> variety is the spice of life yeah yeah that works <laughs> mr john bollinger thank you so very much it has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today you uh, are a legend <laughs> everybody in the land of uh, crypto loves you thank you so much Go to uponly.tv to check Thanks out this episode. Check on. out John Bollinger. Follow him at bbands on Twitter. Go to uponly.tv slash blockfolio to make your first trade on blockfolio today if you have not already done it. Thanks so much for being here with us today. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks, John. Love you, John. Uh, thank you, guys. Take care. <laughs>